Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. And as always, I am Michael Sherlock, your host. Now, you know, all month long in the month of March, we are talking about the magic of marketing that, you know, fairy pixie dust that we throw up in the air and magically we get customers that come falling at our door. Or instead, we have to look at marketing actually as a process. I don't know. What do you think? We know that it takes work. And my guest today is going to have a really unique perspective on this. And I can't wait to pick his brain on this. So Ethan Decker is an ecologist who became a marketer. We'll be interested in that storyline. And now considers himself a brand scientist, which I think is really fascinating. I can't wait to learn more about it. He takes a very long, and he says, sometimes peculiar view on humans, brands, and advertising. And as we know, we have to be taking a look at all of those in order to find success with it. As a scientist in the world of marketing, he cuts through the hype. <laughs> no kidding. We have to we have to be very wary of that. And the trends, not thinking about just what works today, to find out what really works long-term, what the latest reach, research says, and what it means for brands and organizations. And he's worked at some of the best agencies in the U.S. for some of the largest brands in the world, including Domino's, Hotels.com, Procter & Gamble, Kellogg's, and Intel. And I cannot wait to learn from him. So Ethan, thank you so much for joining me today. Michael, thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute pleasure. And I love um, everything... You know, when I read your bio, I was like, this is going to be such a great conversation because it's really about the, the fun of this series as I put it out there, like the magic of marketing, because, you know, it just seems so ideal that maybe we'll just throw some pixie dust on there and things will happen. But we know that that's not the reality of it. Right. So your your experience in this is going to be phenomenal. But so I gave some highlights of your bio. Tell us a little bit in your own words, a little bit more about you, your business and how you help your clients to shock their potential. Well, as you said, I am an ecologist by training. I'm a scientist by training. So when I got into marketing and I got in kind of, you know, ass backwards, uh, <laughs> I really wanted to know, well, what's the truth? What's the science? What does the research say about uh, how brands grow and how marketing really works? And uh, I was really frustrated. I was, I was confused because there wasn't a lot. Or if there were these rules or principles like... Uh, Al Reese and Jack Trout have their 22 laws, 22 immutable laws of marketing. And law number one says, uh, being the first to market is best. So, you know, be the first entrant and you will win. Well, except when you really look at the research, only 22% of market leaders were the first entrant. Oh. Google, for instance, was not the first search engine. If you That's remember true. Alta Vista <laughs> um, way back in the day, uh, and so over and over, there are uh, examples of things that are seen as laws, but actually aren't laws. So uh, I, I got back into the, the academic literature and looked at the market research and looked at what all the big 
research firms like Nielsen and Ipsos were discovering as well, and really tried to tease apart the fact and the fiction, the, the shit from the Shinola, yeah. so to speak. And, uh, and finally started to see that there are some laws of marketing. They're not entirely intuitive, and some of them fly in the face of some of our, our most sacred beliefs about how we think buyers buy and how we think brands grow. Mm. Um, as you were talking about that, I had, as you were talking about uh, uh, Alta Vista, I was, I had this uh, flashback memory of Ask Jeeves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Precisely. Wow. Well, that was a- moved on to DuckDuckGo, right? So it's <laughs> another weird. Long, long time ago. Yeah. Um, I never thought of it that way too, especially, I mean, that's when you really look at the numbers, you can't refute that only 22% of the top brands were first to market. Mm-hmm. So when you're absolutely right. There's a lot of people out there today touting that they know exactly the formula that will work for all brands in all situations, but we know that that's not true either. Right. So how do you help people to navigate through this, not only to, you know, help them get there, but to maybe overcome some of their own objections to, yeah, but I thought this is what the data said. Correct. There are two big steps. Uh, the first step is to really understand what the laws actually are. And there are laws. Most people don't know them because they were mostly developed in Australia before the days of the internet. And we're talking 40 to 50 years ago. So Australian academics were basically in a different world compared to anyone else uh, in the, in the world. And the laws don't predict everything in the same way that the laws of of physics don't tell you how to build an aircraft, but they do tell you, you have to deal with drag and thrust and lift and weight. Those are the four forces on an aircraft, but look at the diversity within aircraft. It's pretty amazing from a helicopter to a blimp, to an airplane, uh, to a biplane, to a jet, Mm -hmm. but the laws still apply. So every airplane has to obey and deal with the constraints of the laws. So step one is you got to know what these laws are Mm -hmm. and understand how they truly do constrain your company. Mm -hmm. And then step two is what I call levers. And having worked in the creative industry for 15 years, as you said, at big ad agencies and working uh, for large companies and medium sized and small sized companies as well, doing branding and marketing, there are lots of creative levers you can pull. But a lot of people will say, well, you have to do X. Mm. Like, oh, you need social media influencers or your, your host. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you don't. There are lots of companies that don't work with social media influencers or you need a big data solution like Spotify does. Well, mm-hmm. no, not every company needs a big data solution to their marketing. So these are creative levers you can pull and there are lots of them and they work mostly psychologically on humans. So you need to understand which levers are most appropriate for your company and really start to take the little leaps, I call them, between the laws and the levers. You know, it made me think as you were talking about that too, um, the concept or the idea that in order to scale your business, you have to have a huge mailing list. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, you know, one that a lot of people fight because then I, I don't know how many times when I've just met somebody and then next thing you know, I'm on their mailing list. Right. And sometimes I don't mind, you know, because sometimes they're interesting or I'm kind of following what they're doing. Um, but other times I'm thinking, why did you put me on your mailing list? I'm not your target audience. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I am not going to help you. There's not going to be, you know, I mean, I'm not offended by it. Usually if I don't really want it, I'll unsubscribe, right. but why me? What did, you know, is it just to add another number and say, I've got, you know, we've got a database of 50,000 people, which I mean, if you're going to try and sell your company at some point in time, those numbers matter. However, they don't matter if you get down to it and that 50,000 really only has 500 that are viable, you know, clients or customers. Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right, Michael. Is the there's an impetus to grow, an impetus to to fish and catch fish, catch as many mm-hmm. as you can. To some extent, that's exactly right because one thing that the laws of marketing show is that growth in penetration is much more important for your brand than growth in loyalty. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you look at the largest cereal brand, let's say Cheerios they have a massively much larger penetration than one of the small brands like Kashi. Uh, But Kashi is not, doesn't have more loyal buyers. In fact, Cheerios has more loyal buyers, but Cheerios has many, 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 many more buyers. And that's why they're so much bigger. Now, bigger isn't always better. You might want profitability and margin and things like that. But uh, one of the first laws is that penetration matters more for growth than, than retention or loyalty. So you do need to just catch a lot of fish. Mm -hmm. The other reason you need to do that is because you're never sure if the next person you bring into your list is going to be a a very heavy buyer of your product or an extremely light one. And we have this belief that you get someone in and they sample you and then they try a little more and then you can nurture them on this customer growth path to them being a loyal customer that loves your brand. It doesn't quite work that way. In fact, one of the studies was what happens to new product launches? What's the loyalty patterns of their customers? And it it turns out new product launches look just like huge brands. They're just tiny, which is they have lots and lots of light buyers who come in and try them and never come back. And then instantly they also have some medium and some heavy buyers. So an example is, I love ketchup as an example, because everybody kind of knows it, but nobody (laughs) tends to think too much about it. Uh, Sir Kensington's is a new brand that Unilever recently purchased because they're a better for you, slightly more purpose-driven company and they're cute, they're fun, Sir Kensington's. Uh, And so it's more clean and natural ingredients, no high fructose corn syrup, things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're they're launching across the country. They're getting distribution mostly in more natural foods places, but now Unilever is getting them into bigger places. And instantly they have people who've switched, who've Mm -hmm. gone from eight bottles of Heinz ketchup a year to eight bottles of Sir Kensington's. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have to be nurtured and taken along this kind of funnel from trial to loyalty. No, they got caught in the net and instantly they're a Sir Kensington's com- a family. Right. So you're right there. It, it's weird to feel like these people might be catching everybody and some of those fish are terrible. And they should throw those fish back, but uh, they also do need to acquire. Acquiring new users is certainly the number one driver to growth. And you're never sure if those new users are going to be uh, light, medium or heavy users. Right. That's true. That's a good point. And as long if somebody doesn't opt out of your list and they, you know, they allow it to continue, then there's a potential there as long as they're not offended by it and you haven't screwed up any GDRP issues. Yes. (laughs) And I've never thought of that. You know, it's as you were talking about new product launches uh, Mm -hmm. where I grew up was in Spokane, Washington. 
and we were one of the test markets for a lot of new products before they even, you know, so the kind of the trial by trial by Spokane, Washington. Right. And it was always disappointing to me when they, they, somebody would launch something new, you know, PepsiCo, Frito-Lay, you know, any of the major brands would launch something just to test it. And I'd love it. And then you'd never see it again. And I'm like, right. right. <laughs> what well, happened? Why it, it didn't, if you, if you can make it in Spokane, you can make it anywhere. Right. <laughs> you know, we sing that all the time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's a good example of them trying it out and they put it in the market and it, it didn't turn quickly enough, so to speak, mm -hmm. on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And so the retailers wanted to delist it because it was just taking up shelf space from something more popular like Sir Kensington. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know. Now I'm going to have to go search this out and find out what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> it tastes like ketchup. It Oh my gosh. <laughs> and when you said people buy eight bottles of ketchup, I'm like, I think we buy one bottle a year. <laughs> oh, I have a couple teenagers and ketchup is a food group. Oh yeah, that is true. Okay. Yeah. I probably did that when my son was a teenager as well. It's been go. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I, I love this, uh, you know, this approach, this concept is, a, you know, really about diving down and, and I think asking more questions or at least looking at things more strategically, mm -hmm. you know, do you find that, you know, the clients that you work with, they're open to that or are they still, you know, kind of sucked into the, yeah, but we have to do it this way because we've always done it this way. There's a whole lot of inertia, as you know, and yeah. there is a whole lot of belief and a whole lot of tradition in marketing just as there is everywhere. Yeah. So even though we're marketing professionals, we're not immune to this as either. Uh, I find that it's really hard to persuade people to do something until you really show them their own data. Mm -hmm. So I can show people other data that unequivocally says that, uh, let's say, Sir Kensington's uh, is dominated by light buyers. It's not a niche brand where you've got really heavy buyers and no light buyers and people just love it. No, Sir Kensington's is just like a little baby Heinz. Mm -hmm. And Heinz also doesn't have this incredible loyalty. Heinz is dominated by light buyers who buy it maybe once a year because occasionally they need ketchup. Mm -hmm. And and in fact, uh, what, 50% of light buyers tend to churn year to year, and about 20% of heavy buyers tend to churn. And that's normal. These are the laws of, of buyer behavior. Mm -hmm. So uh, I get a little traction when I show them that it's true for Heinz, and it's true for Cheerios, and it's true for Harley Davidson as well. Yeah. But then I get a lot of traction when I show them their own data. Yeah. and can say, let's look at your buyer pattern. And in fact, I just did this with a, a small to medium brand here in Boulder. It's an average company that's just launched nationally. And they had this belief that they have really loyal buyers, that instantly people are buying from their, their uh, e-commerce platform and buying cases and cases of their, their beverages. <laughs> and that's unusual. And I said, well, okay, let's look at the actual data. So we did, and it turns out that those people buying cases were a tiny fraction of their buyers, mm -hmm. that most of their buyers, in fact, 50% of their buyers only bought on e-commerce once the entire year. Mm. And this doesn't even include all the people that are buying at retail because they're right. already sold at grocery. So a lot of those folks only bought one can uh, the whole year as opposed to trying one case. And so when they see their own data, they go, oh, so I obey the same laws of gravity that Coca-Cola does. And I say, mm -hmm. yeah, you do. And then they say, well, what does that mean? And then we talk about the, the levers, the creative levers that help you with the wiggle because there is a lot of wiggle between brands. 
it's you know, not all brands are exactly the same. They are constrained by the same laws. But Coca-Cola will behave a little differently than Bubbly or Buble. Is it Buble? <laughs> Bubbly? Bubbly? Buble? <laughs> And that'll be a brilliant marketing ad, by the way. That's a good one. That was good. It was catchy, right? It was good. stuck in your brain. And next time you go buy some. I call it bubble when I buy it. You're like, yeah, I'll try this stuff. It was funny. It was cute. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there is some wiggle and and you need to learn how to work in the wiggle. You're not going to break the rules. Harley Davidson is not a different category of, of brand than uh, Honda. In right. fact, Harley has the exact same pattern of tons of light buyers. I, I draw charts all the time. So <laughs> I see it in chart form. Yes. Tons of light buyers uh, for Harley, people who've only ever bought one Harley. Uh, and then a few heavy, uh, a few medium, and then very, very few heavy buyers. Right. And that's the same for Harley as it is for Honda. And you think Honda's this mainstream brand and Harley's this niche loyal brand. No, they're the same. Uh, so, uh, so then you get into these, these levers of creativity that allow you to work the wiggle. And if you can get a 2% increase in one of those, you know, retention numbers, let's say, that's a lot, that's a lot of money. So 2% might seem small to an academic. It's huge if you're running a business. Yeah, it really is. And as you're talking, I was thinking about, you know, the Heinz versus Hunts, you know, ketchup Mm -hmm. kind of thing is that I couldn't, I can't tell you what's in my refrigerator right now, but it's one of those two. Right. But it's which one, but I won't buy the generic. Uh, ketchup, you know, that you is probably made by one of those two companies because I just, uh, there's a lot of generic things I won't buy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't tell you what's in my cupboard because when I get to the store, because I'm out of ketchup, I look at the Hunts and I look at the Heinz and decide which one is the better deal at the mm-hmm. moment. And mm-hmm. that's what goes in my refrigerator. So, but Hunts or Heinz, if I bought the last five times, bought it and they know because they've tracked my, you know, Target card. Oh, they whatever, know then they may think that I'm a more loyal customer, but in reality, I'm making decisions right there at the store shelves. So they Correct. don't know about me just because the data may show one thing. Correct, absolutely. Uh, one of the laws, uh, another law of, of, uh, of buyer behavior is that we buy on a repertoire. We have a range, a little collection of brands that we think are suitable. Yeah, in your yeah. case, it's Heinz and Hunts. It's not yet Sir Kensington's, but maybe. And, and then, we, we shift around among those brands for a variety of reasons. Some of it's taste, some of it's packaging, some of it's what's on deal. Mm-hmm. And if you look just at the last six months or the last one year of, of uh, scanner data or loyalty card data, you might, as you say, think, oh, this person is switching. When in fact, no, they just have their, their normal repertoire and they cycle through yes. over the years among those brands. And there might be long-term shifts, but yeah, that's a huge law of marketing, which is that we are repertoire buyers. We are generally not uh, pure loyalists, but only like 5% or maybe for some, some brands upwards of 15 or 20% of your buyers only buy you. But that's, that, that would be extreme. That, and it's, uh, it's funny too. I don't know why we're into condiments today, but I was just thinking about mustard because probably about two years ago, I was out of yellow mustard and we were going to have a hot dogs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I bought, I was at Whole Foods and I'm like, oh, well, they have the Whole Foods yellow mustard. I'll get that. You know, it's organic. I wasn't buying organic for a purpose and I didn't need to buy uh, ketchup. And I brought it home and we both put it on our hot dogs and we both looked at each other and said, oh no. You know, we got to go buy either the French's or whatever. Right. I can't think of the other one we buy. Um, 
but my husband's like, don't ever buy that again. <laughs> right. Right. Go back to what we know. Stick within our repertoire. <laughs> New products are risky, especially especially for those on a budget, which is most of America. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it is hard to get people to try something new because it, it, it's you know, no one wants to throw away money. Right. We could do the same talk uh, if you want to get away from condiments. We can talk about banking yeah. or finance, uh, yeah. which is we see the same patterns. And you would think that banking is is entirely different. It's considered, it's you know, it's port, important because it's where your money is. Uh, it's more of a subscription service than a than a, a repertoire, or it's more of a service than a product. But actually, if you look at the data. People have multiple banks they work with, some for mm-hmm. their insurance, some for their credit cards, some for their checking account or checking for you versus checking for your, your partner or spouse or kid. Mm-hmm. So very few people do all their banking with just one bank. They have a repertoire of banks. Yeah. And then with even in, in there, they'll switch around a little bit. The time scale is really different, which is why some people think it, it's not comparable. The time scale for switching banking might be years instead of weeks mm-hmm. when you buy, you know, Heinz versus Hunts. But you'll, you'll shop around and you'll decide, oh, you know what? I just need a local bank because I'm going to be doing some cash transactions. So I'm going to use First National as right. opposed to, oh, I, I really want to do some, the best credit card deal for points. I'm going to use Amex Blue. But it's the same. Yeah. Remarkably similar. And I guess that's a piece that that was a a holdover from my science background, which is the way I was trained, which is also a little weird, even in science, was to look for the universals, look for the commonalities, as opposed to the platypus is really different than the gecko, and the gecko is really different than the swan. And what I was taught was, let's look for the universals among all species, Mm -hmm. among all populations. And so I've discovered the same thing in brands, that there are more universals than there are differences. Yeah, when it comes I, th- to the laws. I think that's really fascinating, especially when you put it that way, is yes, all the platypus versus the gecko, quite different when you look at them one to one, but they're mm-hmm. also both li- living creatures, you know, you can mm-hmm. look at what they eat or, you know, how they sleep and find more similarities. Um, I was thinking also, uh, just another, you know, topic was about, oh gosh, I don't know, sometime this maybe probably about this time last year, because it's pre-pandemic. That way I, I do know. Um, I broke my phone for like, you know, I keep, I break my phone all the time. And so it was time to, you know, really upgrade. Plus I was starting to do some different taping and I wanted to get, you know, the newest iPhone at that time. Mm-hmm. And, but I was making the decision. I'd been with my wireless carrier literally for 20 years, literally. And I knew I was probably paying too much, but you know, it's the inertia of change. Now they might've thought she's been with us 20 years. She's a completely loyal customer. And in my mind, I'm like, it's so much of a pain in the neck to change. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I want to do that. Um, But when it came down with, I knew, I knew here was my time. So I began to shop around Mm -hmm. and I shopped around at the other competitors. I shopped, I, you know, had very clear conversations. Look, I've been with this one wireless carrier for 20 years. Um, I'm ready to, to see what my options are. When it was all said and done, then the last place I went back is to my wireless carrier. And I said, mm-hmm. this is what I've learned. This is what I know. This is why I'm shopping around. And they said, basically like, why didn't you talk to us sooner? We could have, you know, saved you this and this and this, you know, cut down my, you know, I still need to have a pretty big plan for what I mm-hmm. do for my business. Um, but we cut it by like $80 a month. Wow. And I went, well, that pays for my new iPhone. So <laughs> Right. <laughs> there you go on that. Right. But 
it was really interesting then to make the decision to change because I was willing to change. Right. I was ready to change. But when I really looked at it, I found that I was still happy there, but not just because, not because of that wireless carrier. Mm -hmm. And, but if you looked at my data over long-term, it would be easy to think that I stayed loyal because I love that company. Right. And that, as you're talking, I'm thinking, wow, you know, you really think about so many areas where we make conscious choices that could be skewed one way, uh -huh. but, but you don't know all the, the psychological implications going on behind it. This is a, a huge bugaboo for me is, is the mythology, not the, not the mythology, the, the metaphor of love and loyalty for brands. Mm -hmm. And I understand why we use it. And I understand why we say we want to make brands people love. But when you, when you again, really look at the data or even look at your own behavior, most, most uh, homes have about 300 brands that they buy. And how many of those do you love? Do you love your toilet cleaner? Do you love your Yes, bleach? I do. <laughs> well, some people do, right. Do you love your motor oil or do you love your olive oil? And, and for different people, it'll only be two or three brands that mm -hmm. there is some kind of emotional connection and the rest is just convenience or habit or it works. Yeah. Um, so we have to be definitely careful about the metaphors that can trap us. Mm -hmm. And this metaphor of, of a brand loyalist is a huge one. Again, when you look at the data, you find that your heaviest buyers usually are actually not loyal. They're actually more promiscuous. So uh, there's a great law, again, that the, the heavier someone is in a category, the more ketchup they buy, mm -hmm. the more brands they buy. And it kind of makes intuitive sense. If you eat a lot of salad and you... Uh, buy a lot of dressing, you're going to try a lot of different dressings. So true. Or if you drink a lot of beer or whiskey, you're going to try a lot of different beers and whiskeys. And so the more you buy a category, the more you try other different brands. Ah. Uh, and that flies again in the face of our intuition, which is my heavy buyers are my loyal buyers. Yeah. They must like me more. And it's not the case. Uh -huh. That said, I think that the, the, metaphor of love and loyalty spurs us to try and make a brand that does stand out a little bit, that is a little more memorable, that is a little better. Mm -hmm. Sir Kensington's is getting shelf space because they are attracting people. There's mm -hmm. something interesting and fun and quirky and healthy and tasty about their product, which is getting people's attention. So yes. Yeah. I, I kind of call it a paradox. It's the paradox of brand, which is uh, consumers really don't give a damn as much as you think, <laughs> but you have to act as if you can make them give a damn. That you is... have to do the things that, that might make them care just a little more because that's how you survive. That's how you grow. That's how you, you know, increase your profit. That is so true. And before we take a break, I'll, I'll just have to put in the plug because I literally only buy uh, Clorox bleach spray uh -huh. um, of all like my cleaners like that and Clorox toilet bowl cleaner. And that's now, as we're talking, I'm like, oh, those are two things that if those aren't on the shelf, I won't buy something else. Right. I won't buy something else. I will wait until it's back on the shelf. So with that, um, Ethan, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. Solopreneurs and small businesses often struggle to create effective digital marketing programs. 
It's hard to know where to start, what to prioritize, how to sift through confusing information and solutions that seem too good to be true. Agencies and full-time marketing employees are also expensive. And Marketing You is a modern marketing course with all the tools, education, and accountability you need to grow your business without that extra set of hands or high overhead costs. At And Marketing You, you will learn exactly what you need to do to execute a concrete marketing strategy by dedicating just two to four hours per week. And Marketing You will help you to execute strategy, messaging, content marketing, SEO, social media, paid digital advertising, and more. You'll have access to on-demand resources, live courses, group coaching sessions, community forums, and networking, plus the exact templates and tools you need for success. I took this course myself, and one of the greatest benefits we gained was learning to develop a competitive strategy that aligned our social media playbook and website to generate highly qualified leads. For all the tools, education, and accountability you need to grow your small business at a fraction of the cost of hiring a traditional agency or additional employee, go to www.and-marketing.com forward slash you. Again, that's www.and-marketing.com forward slash you. And use the code SHOCK to receive 10% off of any program. And I am back with Ethan Decker. And Ethan, this has been phenomenal. I could spend hours talking about this because I, I think your approach is phenomenal. And it really sparks me thinking about so many things, even within my own company and what we're approaching and how we're looking at our clients, um, you know, in 2021, especially. Um, but, you know, like I said at the beginning, our theme for the month is the magic of marketing. You know, this idea that, you know, we'd love to have that we could sprinkle some magic dust on everything and we'll get customers. But at the reality, you and I know that there are some things that we can and should do to make sure that our marketing is more effective. Yes. So I've asked all my guests for this month to share some top tips. So, you know, what are your thoughts on the subject? To make your marketing more effective, step one is what to stop doing. And one of those things is stop chasing uh, pixies and fairies. Stop doing the things that won't actually help you, you grow or achieve your goals. So one of those, for instance, is um, stop assuming that you will be a niche brand of highly loyal buyers. Mm, because again, the laws of marketing suggest, no, you, you kind of follow this pattern. It's called double jeopardy. Uh, it has nothing to do with Alex Trebek <laughs> or the show, but it means that uh, small brands have two punishments. They're punished by uh, smaller and, and lower uh, purchase frequencies. So Kashi doesn't have a bunch of people who love them and buy tons of Kashi and nothing else. No, Kashi actually has lower purchase frequency than Cheerios. Mm -hmm. Same with Mini Cooper uh, or same with uh, Tesla. You know, Tesla's a small brand and they're yep. going to behave a lot like a small brand does. So number one, stop doing the things that waste a lot of time and money. Another one, for instance, is people think that you can really bifurcate um, penetration and frequency. You can go after one or the other, but they're kind of interlocked. It's very hard just to increase your purchase frequency without also increasing your household penetration. Mm -hmm. So these two numbers work in, in tandem, work in lockstep. 
So that would be the first step. Stop doing things that are, are wasting your time and money because it's like trying to defy the laws of physics. Mm -hmm. The second thing is um, to take some leaps into what I call the levers, the creative levers. As we said, there's this bit of a paradox that even though most people are indifferent about brands or people, most people see brands as mostly interchangeable, or at least these three or four, Heinz and Hunts are interchangeable. First Bank and Bank of America is basically interchangeable. You have to do things that, that try to separate you, try to make you different or distinctive or differentiated or memorable at all. Uh, so, so that takes creativity. And that's the part that scares a lot of bean counters and a lot of logical mm -hmm. analytical people because it's really hard to predict what that is and it's really hard to bank on what those things are that will work. Yeah. So you got to take some leaps and they can be little leaps, but they can be big leaps too. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you uh, remember a year or two ago, uh, IHOP changed oh. their name. Yes. Oh, to the International House of Hamburgers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. House of Burgers. Correct. <laughs> Uh, they flipped the P to a B and they teased people about that for a week. And then they revealed what Brilliant. it was. It was. And what I love about it is I don't think the client said, hey, we need to change our name for the 60th anniversary. Let's do, let's change our name to House of Burgers. The clients probably went to the agency and said, we, um, we know people come for breakfast and they come for late night after the bars close. Yes. But we're open for dinner and nobody's coming for dinner. How do we get more dinner guests? Yes. And nothing in the data would have said, you should change your name <laughs> and tease the world and, and then uh, launch some new burgers. But, uh, but it was a brilliant leap. It was a creative leap. Yes. And the creative leap of, of this kind of tease and the spectacle of changing their name, they actually put up an IHOB sign on one or two stores in the real world. Not many, yeah. just one or two. It's all it took. Yeah, just to get some people to take some pictures. Yeah, yeah. And then that can circulate on the internet. Yeah. And, and on the nightly, you know, the six o'clock news. Oh, yeah. Um, because the local news loves that stuff. IHOP changed their name to IHOP. But that's a creative leap. Yeah. I worked on Domino's and we did a campaign where um, we wanted people to think of Domino's not just for delivery, which everybody does. That's mm -hmm. 30 years of branding that worked. Yeah. But how do you get them to think of Domino's for carryout? And so we talked about carry out people wanting to control the, the journey of the pizza a little bit. Right. Because they want to check it at the store. They want to make sure the order's right. They want to drive it home in there, or they don't want a stranger knocking on their door, maybe. They don't want and it sitting is, on the front seat of a stranger's car. Right, right. And this is all true. This came from market research. And the market research said that carry out people are a little more controlling in this way. But then there was a creative leap and the creative leap was, well, let's offer to pave the potholes. That's right. Oh, that's right. So your pizza gets home safe. <laughs> and we did a campaign called Paving for Pizza. That was if awesome. Go online and nominate your potholes. Domino's will come to your town and pave them so your pizza gets home safely because, and this is the line, bad roads shouldn't happen at good pizza. <laughs> But nothing in the research would have said we should offer to pave potholes. And it was a real pain in the ass to find companies and municipalities that would work with us. Oh, gosh, yes. Really hard. Uh, in fact, Bernie Sanders tweeted about it. He said, 
what have we come to as a country when we rely on a pizza company for our infrastructure or something like that? Oh, I got to get the hands up too, right? Who, why would we rely on Domino's, a pizza chain, to fix our roads? So that's my terrible Bernie Sanders. Ethan, you have a you have a new job as an impersonator. So this is something to fall back on if this marketing thing doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. You'll see me in nightclubs as soon as they're open again. Zoom chat rooms. That's where I'll start. But I oh, loved God. the campaign because the creative team just blew us away when they came back with the idea. And oh. it, it was nothing the data would have said we should do. There was nothing in the data that suggests it's right. Also, there's nothing in the data that says it's going to work. Right. But we had done enough of these. Domino's was in a great pattern of doing these kinds of stunts, these tricks, these whatever you want to call them, yeah. brand activations, brand actions. And they were confident from past experience that this would garner attention. And sure enough, it garnered a lot of attention. And every time Domino's came to a new town or city and paved a road, it got on the nightly news. Absolutely. Free it was brilliant. Coverage. Free, free, free. So that's the way to, to kind of un, unleash your, unlock and unleash your potential is to take these creative leaps that allow you to rise above even just for a you know, hot minute, 15 minutes of fame, to rise above the, the repertoire that people are buying yeah. and say, you know what, maybe I should consider Sir Kensington's. Maybe I should try it. Maybe I should order Domino's this week because I haven't in a while. Yeah. And those creative leaps are the way you do that. Oh my God. I could just pick your brain all day long. This is fascinating. Even I love, this has been so great. Of course, I'm going to have to go find some Sir Kensington. You know, I'm going to have to buy yep. it. I'm going to like take a picture and send it to you. I, I, I must uh, divulge that I'm actually a paid endorser influencer <laughs> for Sir Kensington's. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You but get a lifetime a of free Sir Kensington's catch, catch up every time you promote it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting. It. I'm waiting for them to hear this at some point and say, oh, we should get Ethan. I'm going to put tag Sir Kensington's in my notes so that we can actually do that when we promote your podcast. Great. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Uh, Ethan, we we're going to have all your contact information in the show notes, but in case somebody just can't wait to find you right now, what's the best way for them to reach you? I'm easy to find on Twitter at EH Decker. I'm available on LinkedIn, same place, E.H. Decker or Ethan Decker. And you can go to my website if for some reason you want to read a little more, appliedbrandscience.com. I love it. Ethan, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Hmm. Well, I would say um, one thing I like to say is fight unfair. Ooh. Uh, Brands, big brands especially, become more and more conservative. And if you're a small to medium-sized organization, let's say, or even a big brand, you got to find something you can do that others are unwilling to or unable to. And then use that lever to separate. So if you're a small, scrappy brand that can move faster than a big laboring giant, do it. Move faster. Try something new. And then leave it. and Do something new again. If you're a, a foul-mouthed, potty-mouthed brand and you're going to talk about bullshit and how bitches get shit done, <laughs> and big corporate brands can't do that, then talk about how bitches get shit done <laughs> and use that advantage. But however you can, find what you can do that others are unwilling to. Uh, you know, Nike, for instance, is willing to put Colin Kaepernick on a major international campaign. 
Absolutely. And talk about racial justice. And that's fighting unfair because other brands won't go there. They won't touch that with a 10 foot pole. Absolutely. But that's what, that's one of my last, you know, pearls of wisdom is fight unfair. I love it. I think that might be the title of your uh, show. Uh, (laughs) So that'd be great. (laughs) Ethan, thank you. It has been such a pleasure. I have thoroughly enjoyed this interview and I am so happy to be connected. Michael, it's been really fun. And thank you so much for having me. It's really great to talk to you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.